You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. For a recent feature here on Once Upon a Turnbuckle, I reached out into various Facebook groups um, of uh, classic wrestling fans for um, fans who would be interested in appearing on the show who may have seen some sort of major events, some some key angles um, in wrestling history live in person to talk about them. The result was um, episode 13 which um, was codenamed the, the the Facebook fans. It was the second part of my feature. I was there when, and the uh, the three that I included in that episode, the three guys I spoke to, um, all their separate interviews were were so great. It was so much fun. And besides the the key points that I picked out of the interviews to put into that episode in particular. There was some other great stuff that came up in the, my conversations with him, so I decided that each of them really deserved to uh, to be released um, as an episode in their own right. So, what you'll uh, what you see in this this three part feature is these interviews in full with these guys, and I'm hoping this will become more of a regular thing as well because I realised how much fun it is to to talk to fellow fans. So uh, so here we are, the uh, the Facebook fans uncut feature so uh, in uh, this one the first part is my conversation with Andrew Lachelle so enjoy I'm from St. John New Brunswick Canada I currently live in Vancouver and my first exposure to wrestling I didn't realize what it was Um, I was flipping through the channels one morning and I saw on either Good Morning America or Today or one of those early daytime shows it was Mr. T sitting there with someone who wasn't Hannibal Smith from the A-team and I thought who's this guy I like I was quite familiar with Mr. T and the A-team was my favorite show Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize it was Hulk Hogan he could have been Adam for all I know and that was my first memory of anything wrestling and then I remember vividly the LJN wrestling figures, uh-huh. uh, seeing, yes. seeing them at the, the stores. And I didn't really have any interest in them. They just looked like big hunks of rubber. And <laughs> I didn't have any knowledge of who they were. They were just on the pegs and mm-hmm. I didn't care. And I remember asking my grandfather to bring me home like a He-Man figure and he right. brought home Hulk Hogan and I, I feigned interest. I was like, yay. <laughs> and I opened it up and it had that new toy smell. And I thought, you know, I can get behind this. Nice and man. a couple of toys later, I remember getting Iron Sheik and then I remember getting Andre the Giant. 
and we went to our cabin. Uh, this was shortly after the Santa Claus parade. And I remember I was playing with my Andre the Giant toy and a friend of the family saw, saw me playing with it. And he said, oh, I see you have Andre the Giant there. And I looked at him in total bewilderment because I didn't know that these were based on real people. I thought it was like a G.I. Joe or He-Man or okay. Marshall Bravestar. And as a young boy, the thing that I valued the most and the thing I always strive for was acceptance from an adult. So if an adult had an interest in my interest, I was all set. And I think that's really why a lot of boys get into sports so that they can have that adult conversation with adult men. And I'm the type of fellow that doesn't go into anything with half my buttocks. I I use the whole ass and... (laughs) I got really into the wrestling magazines, especially if the cover had someone bleeding. Okay. And yeah. I remember just being really hardcore into it almost immediately. I, I just remember reading about the history, having Bruno Sammartino be my favorite wrestler without ever having seen him just from the fact that he had been the champion for so long. Cool. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really interesting sort of hearing that side of it from another fan. You know, I've spoken to other guys about how they got into the industry, but it's nice to hear from someone else. It's a similar kind of thing with me. I discovered it through one of my cousins. And then once I knew what it was, that was it. I, I was there and I wanted everything. You know, and that was, that was my childhood pretty much wrapped around that. So it's, it's good to, there's something about wrestling, I think, which really does stay with you. Oh, it creates lifelong bonds. Like two of my best friends, we bonded because of our mutual appreciation of professional wrestling. And I can't imagine that being like that for basketball, football, hockey, anything else, even movies, you know, or TV shows. It's just because it's too all encompassing. There's too many baseball fans to just yeah. say hey we're lifelong fans because we're both fans of a sport but pro wrestling it brings people together it does it does and so talking about bringing people together then i think the one the fascinating thing for me is what it's like to see it live because i only um as by the time this goes out people will know that i only went to see wwf once being in the uk it wasn't over all that often um, but sort of, I often dream being in America, you got to see endless amount of shows, you know, if you were willing to travel so far. So, I mean, talk about, do you remember like the first time you saw it live or? Well, I remember the first time I saw wrestling live, which was different than WF. I didn't see WF immediately. Mm. Um, our home territory was called Atlantic Grand Prix Wrestling, although when I got involved with it, it was called World Grand Prix Wrestling because they wanted to appear more national because they were competing Mm. with Coliseum Home Videos and stuff. And I remember my uncle and aunt took me and I was so excited. And it was my first exposure to the card is subject to change because the the, the promoted event was not what I saw. Um, I was expecting a, a tag match main event with Leo Burke and the Cuban Assassin against the Spoiler and Nikita Karmlikov, but it wound up being two singles matches. Okay. And um, that was great. Uh, I loved it. It was, uh, it was very interesting to a, I, I think it was six or seven, because I remember them brawling up into the stands right, right around us. And yeah. that was fun. My first WF show was a, was a house show in Montreal. I was visiting family there uh, when I was 10. This would have been in August of 1990, shortly before SummerSlam 90. Okay. And 
the the thing that really stands out for me from that show, well, other than everything, because I remember every match, all the outcomes, it's, it's crazy. Like, I couldn't tell you what happened on WWE three years ago or, hell, on, on Monday night, no. but I can tell you distinctly what happened in that show. It, it included uh, Axe and Crush against the Heart Foundation. It was during that era when I remember reading the arena reports in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and in one show, they may be axe and smash another one smash and crush but the the rarest combination was axe and crush yeah and that's what i saw that's cool that's something worth noting what did you think of crush back then as demolition i remember well i the term smart mark certainly applied to me as as a young boy I, i think it was because of the magazines they always made it seem like the nwa and awa and mid south were superior to the more cartoonish WWF so I always had that mentality and I was a huge demolition fan in 1989 yeah uh, I remember whining like a little baby when uh, demolition were eliminated from their Survivor Series match at Survivor Series 89 and so I was a huge demolition fan but I was also a big Road Warriors fan from before that um, animal was the first ever wrestler I was for Halloween um, oh wow but, yeah uh with regards to crush i i thought it changed something because it was not the first but one of the first non-turns that i i remember where there wasn't a single event that caused someone to go from babyface to heel or fan favorite to rule breaker it just all of a sudden we were supposed to boo them and i just thought crush was just another guy yeah he was bigger but he didn't have the the pedigree that Action right. Smash had. Also, didn't have the the support like no. years and years of of being on TV that Action Smash had. Whereas Crush was just sort of showed up one day, yeah. and we were expected to care about him. <laughs> I think I when I so I wasn't following wrestling at that point. It was more sort of ninety one, ninety two that I got into it. Mm-hmm. So I remember the Kona version of crush when he came in yep. and I, I think it was the colors and that really grabbed me i thought this guy looks really cool and you know i remember cheering him on when he was meeting Shawn michaels for the intercontinental title looking back at it now i can see there wasn't really much chance he was going to get get over him then but and then it just went away to nothing really i think he i've heard um i've heard interviews about brian adams since and i think the consensus is he was quite green back then yeah, well, it's, it's so crazy to think about because Demolition had appeared at WrestleMania 7 in March or April of 91, and then he comes back in early 92 or mid-92 as Kona Crush. Mm-hmm. Same name, and they never acknowledged that he was in Demolition. And, and wrestling fans are very forgiving. We'll just accept anything that you put in front of us. Like, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, I was completely with that. It's like I never understood why they never made that connection. Um I remember SummerSlam 92 when they put him against Repo Man. That was, it was like, we're seeing demolition against each other and nobody's demolition saying Demolition explodes. <laughs> and I was, brought up to, I was brought up to believe, you know, my cousin, I think, made me believe a few odd things. Like he made me believe that the original Doink the Clown was Axe, was Billy D. So when he got to WrestleMania 9, I was like, oh my God, he's doing it again. You know, he's, he's going up against demolition again, but it wasn't, obviously, right there. So let's, let's move on, because we, we did... We did connect over one particular thing um, when I put a post out about this. 
And you, you were at a particular event in, in 95, which had something fairly notable on it. So, uh, sure. Yeah, it was something that I didn't realize was notable at the time. And I didn't even realize it was notable shortly afterwards because in Canada, we didn't have Nitro Live until, mm-hmm. I want to say, October or November of 97. So we would get uh, worldwide on Saturdays, which would usually be a week behind. Uh, and then there would be a section on in Worldwide where they would have their WCW report, kind of mm-hmm. like how superstars would have the WF Magazine report with Mean Gene hosting. This yeah. was similar. It was Mean Gene, but with WCW. And they showed Lex Luger showing up on Nitro. And I thought, oh, wow, I just saw him live. <laughs> um, and it was the last WF show that Luger was on. It was Lex and Shawn Michaels against Yokozuna and Owen Hart. That was our main event. That's a very unique, not unique necessarily, but it's a very interesting pairing, I think, Lex Luger and Shawn Michaels, because I, I could have imagined it back in 93, I think, where, around like WrestleMania 9, because they were both up against Mr. Perfect, I suppose, around that time. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that they would put them together in, in 95. Was it a result of a, cha- a card change? or was No, that, that, was, that was the announced ma- match. Uh, I believe... Davy Boy had turned heel not that long beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with house shows, especially around that time, it seemed like it was very random as far mm-hmm. as the matches. Like I remember just uh, a couple of years later, it seemed that the big thing was when they announced triple threat matches were, yeah. were now a thing. And it could be any three guys, whether they had animosity with each other or not, it was just a match. Yeah. And as a youngster, especially growing up in the 80s, I didn't mind that so much. I know a lot of modern fans need personal issues for matches. They have to have an angle or be involved in a feud. But when you're used to squash matches, whenever you would get like a Bad News Brown versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan or Ted DiBiase versus Jimmy Snooker, it didn't matter that that there was no angle. It was like, wow, two name guys. Who knows who's going to win? And this is I because I my main experience with WWF or my only experience was was a major event. I was at the the one night only pay per view in '97, um, and my cousin was at SummerSlam '92. So we didn't get. I've not had an experience of a, a house show of the WWF, you know, or WCW or anything. So it always intrigued me when I would pick up like some of the independent magazines over here and read some of the results because they're matches you wouldn't necessarily see on TV. Certainly not. Oh, that was the appeal. Yeah. Like I saw weird stuff like Mo versus Barry Horowitz or Terry <laughs> Taylor versus Typhoon. And right. I, I love that because you don't know who's going to win. Well, Mo and Barry Horowitz, he kind of yeah. did. But with stuff like Luger and Sean against Owen and Yoko, I never had any preconceived notions that I was going to see a title change because Owen and Yoko were the tag champs at yeah. the time. Yeah. But you didn't know how they were going to retain the titles because mm-hmm. usually heels didn't go over in the – in the finish, but it was like a screwed up DQ counted or something like that. But the one thing I really remember about that match, uh, Luger gave Owen the customary 10 smashes to the turnbuckle with the holding yeah. the back of the head, yeah. that spot that's kind of gone the way of the Dodo bird in recent years, but it wasn't, they didn't just stop at 10. They went to 40. And I remember <laughs> Yoko in the corner holding his mouth, busting a gut because <laughs> All the that, stories about Owen being a river, I mean, it was it was obvious right there in that match. That's brilliant, isn't it? Because yeah, you you hear about these as well at house shows that there are there in jokes with the guys in the ring. You know, they do things. It's for the more loosey doosey. Yeah, 
That's brilliant. I, I have been to see a televised show. Uh, my first one was last uh, Valentine's. Well, not Valentine's of 2021, but Valentine's of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And it was my first ever TV taping. It was a SmackDown along with 205 Live. And it was night and day different between the house shows. I much prefer the house shows because it's not as rigid. It's not as timed out. It's not as much downtime. Yeah. And I remember at the time thinking, I really want to see a pay-per-view or I really want to see a TV taping. I wanted to see something that I could go back and, and look at it later on on the network or on mm -hmm. tape and, you know, see, see a title that. change or, or yeah. see a, a big historical moment. But as I've gotten older, I, I realized that the house shows, you could tell the wrestlers had way more fun because they had more freedom. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's necessarily, it's not something that's going to be broadcast, is it? You know, they can do these odd little things just for the people that are there. I think for Owen, being in his own, his own in Canada, you know, he's taking one in his, in his, <laughs> in his home country to, you know, just, just be the full guy almost. But you can imagine him doing that. So. Yeah, it was brilliant. So um, have, you got, have you been in, did you grow up in Canada? Have you been there all your life, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I lived in St. John until I was 25. I moved out here uh, to Vancouver uh, 15 and a half years ago, um, 40 now. And when I moved out here, I was able to see some ECCW, Elite Championship or Canadian Championship Wrestling, uh, formerly WCCW, West Coast Championship Wrestling. Okay. Uh, a, a lot of big names have, have worked this territory. Um, Brian Danielson, uh, Becky Lynch as, I can't remember her old name, a Rebecca Lynch, Lynn or something like that. Right. Um, and that was fun seeing it in smaller venues and just yeah. being able to hear the wrestlers see the action up yeah. close. That place. I was going to, um, obviously customary really for, you're the first Canadian on my show, by the way. So thank you. Um, but, you know, but it's heart country. Is it heart country throughout the country in terms of wrestling or, or are there other names up there that are sort of considered as good or better? Well, it, there's a couple of different things. There's age range. There's also where you are in the country. Like where I come from, the big name was Leo Burke. Everyone at, of a certain age, when you would mention wrestling, they would talk about Leo Burke. It was kind of like the Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold or, or Rock or Cena mm -hmm internationally but in that maritime area leo burke was the guy in quebec it would either be dino bravo mad dog vachon the rougeos in where i am now in vancouver whenever i because I, I wear a lot of wrestling jackets i, I wear it on my sleeve that i'm a wrestling fan cool. and whenever i run into somebody they'll always mention gene kaninsky like oh wow. i used to watch gene kaninsky when i was a kid wow uh, with regards to Brett, yeah, everyone loves him. Uh, there are people that are a bit of contrarians will make it so that Brett's not their favorite, but nobody dislikes Brett. He's not someone that people are going to pick apart his work. Uh, the only thing that I, I typically see with regards to, to Brett, some people will say that he didn't have much of a character. But in Canada, the in-ring part of being a wrestler is very important. Uh, mm. People care about that a lot more here. That's why guys that may not be the best on the stick are able to get over quite a bit here because we don't care about the the angles and no. the, the the story as much as we do how well they are at being a wrestler. I, I, I echo that because I think 
for me, the the big turn, the, the the first big emotional moment I think in my childhood was when Brett won the title in in '92 because it changed. It, all of a sudden, you were off in a, another trajectory almost. You had the cartoonish, uh, you know, late '80s, early '90s with Hulk Hogan. Once he went, it looked like Vince was putting more faith, whether he wanted to or not, in the guys who were actually wrestlers, in my yeah. opinion. And, and and guys that were over, like like yeah. Brett was not somebody that long-term fans were going to poo-poo if, if he was given the title. Mm-hmm. And one of the big misnomers is that when Brett became the champion, they kind of had smaller guys. But if you think about it, Savage and Flair were the champions right mm-hmm. before him, and, and they're all in the same division. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it got more interesting then because – I, I kind of liked, you know, I backed the underdog and a few times when, you know, Brett was up against Razor Ramon or Yokozuna and that, he was the underdog against them. And it makes you root for him more, you know, it's more well, believable. Brett's my all-time favorite and the thing I always love about him is it's, it reminds me of how I feel about my sports teams. I'm a big Montreal Canadiens fan in hockey, a big St. Louis Cardinals fan in baseball, a big Minnesota Vikings fan in football, big... Uh, Atlanta Hawks fan in basketball so with those sports I'm not just rooting for a, a good match mm. or a, a good sporting event I'm, I'm rooting for my team to win and yeah. with Brett I felt that way I didn't care whether or not it was a good match it would be because it was a Brett match but I wanted him to win yeah. and that's how I could tell he was my favorite wrestler there were other wrestlers where I didn't care so much if they won or lost as long as it was a really good match with Brett mm. I didn't care if it was a really good match I just wanted him to win I wanted yeah. him to go over yeah, and there's those occasions when he didn't. I think when he was up against, particularly Bob Backlund in Survivor Series '94, I was in shock with that because, oh, firstly, I was in shock that they would even put the title on Backlund. Really, I didn't didn't make much sense. But you know, Backlund's heel turn in the summer of '94, my all-time favorite heel turn. I know a lot of people like the Hogan one. It yeah. was it was so unexpected because I remember reading about Backlund in the magazines for years, and he was one of those guys like the Steamboat or a Tito that mm-hmm. I thought would always be a baby face yeah. and i just never pictured him being a heel i just thought he was going to be a lower card uh yeah. older baby face and yeah. when they did that i was i was quite surprised he would he had he i he was quite boring when he came back in 93 <laughs> because there wasn't anything about his it was a really awkward style it didn't gel with the guys you had around then but then yeah it, the spark went off literally he just went into overdrive and i think that character yeah. was really good just didn't have enough life in it well, that was on them. They really, like, if, if we really think about it, he should have lost the title at Rumble. He yeah. should have had a couple of months on TV with the title. And instead of just doing it at a house show, having, trying yeah. to, like, do the Hulk Hogan thing again, like they tried and failed with Luger, with Diesel, it just yeah. didn't work. Didn't work. And that segues back, actually, to the, the, the particular event that we were talking about in 95. What was your opinion of 95 for the world of wrestling? <laughs> I hated it. I absolutely hated it because I was old enough to remember when it was good. It's kind of like right now when people talk about how wrestling's better than it ever has been. I'm thinking I've seen the ratings. I I know that that's not the case. I I, I lived when there was a lot of opportunities. If somebody had gotten stale, they could just go to another territory and freshen them up all over again. Whereas now you have guys like Randy Orton who have been on TV since 2002 and there'll be countless guys that are sitting there in catering and they'll say, uh, creative has nothing for you, but they always have something for Randy Orton. There's, yeah. He's always on the show. And it's like, I don't care. Just doing and, the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. For years. It's, it's one of the reasons I, I don't tend to watch it 
really now. I, I, I'm very, very loyal to this particular area that I grew up with because that's, you know, emotionally, that's what takes me back. And same as guys who have grown up with it now probably have no recollection or no interest of what happened 20 years ago. But, um, but you know, 95, I did a show on it earlier in the, in the series because that to me, it's one that sticks in my mind for the right and wrong reasons, to be fair. The product was pretty dire. Oh, it was awful. Uh, but <laughs> 95 is a, is a tale of two years in a way. You have pre-nitro and you have post-nitro. Yeah. And, yeah. and everything pre-nitro was just the shits. I, <laughs> I, I, right now, I'm a bit of a retrophile. I'll watch older stuff. I'll watch yeah. uh, World Class, Mid-South, uh, NWA, uh, Old School WF. Yeah. And I'm dreading when I get to 95. I'll probably just say no Stick thanks. I don't want to watch it. It's <laughs> because I, I lived it. I, I was there. I remember it just being in, imagination bankrupt. It was, it was just they completely... To me, Awful. again, just, just one opinion, but I'm sure there's some out there that do agree with it. They were trying, the WWF anyway, were trying to build a company around the wrong person. You know, they had very little, very little miles, very few miles that he could have done. The fact that he made a year as champion, but it kind of, if you've got him at the top against the guys he was against, it's no, it's, it's no, um, no secret really as to why Brett was stuck in the mid card until the end of the well, year. Well, that's the thing. Like They had the guy right there the entire time that they mm. could have built the company around. And nobody who was watching the time would have been upset about that. If you watch any of the pay-per-views or TV, Brett always got a big reaction from mm. the fans. He yeah. was super over. And I remember talking with my buddies around the time in summer of 95, and, and we were talking about who are the most over faces in the company. And we were talking about being Brett, Sean, Undertaker, and Razor. And Diesel was the champion at the time, and we didn't think that he, he was up there. And it was just a, the situation where WCW wasn't really putting much pressure on Vince to try anything new and different until Nitro. And that's when all of a sudden Diesel has his best match ever at Survivor Series 95, mm -hmm. losing the title to Brett. And then all of a sudden, what happens? He becomes super interesting by being a tweener. Yeah. yeah, and it was Great. It was the first one, which then I, I feel is one of the ones that paved the way for Stone Cold. So, yep. you know, there weren't many of those. or I can't think of any. Really it was like before. you had a full year with this guy on top. Yeah. And you never <laughs> once considered doing something interesting with him. You have him feuding with Sid, Mabel. Oh, no. And like, I just like, who cares? Like his whole reign was just a whole who cares era. Especially when you had Brett and Sean, guys like that, who were right there. Mm. way better than diesel and yeah you know i mean that's vince for you he likes the big guys he does and he probably wasn't listening to the fans necessarily you know and he had the guys who were quite loyal like you said brett and sean who were willing to do whatever at that point yeah he wasn't listening to either of the fans that were still watching <laughs> yeah <laughs> so going back that that show with with luger's last match can you remember any of the other matches that you were subjected to <laughs> Uh, there was Hakushi against One Two Three Kid. No, sorry, it was Duke to Dumpster Drozzy subbing for Kid. Um, there was also uh, Bertha Faye against Alundra Blaze. Uh, um, gosh, I, I honestly can't remember much else on that card. It's because... a bit of a, bit of a SummerSlam rerun in places. Yeah, then, yeah. Well, <laughs> also it was my first exposure to a guy by the name of Isaac Yankum because I didn't see ah. SummerSlam. Okay. And, and this house show happened like a week or so after SummerSlam. And it, it was in the era when 
you'd wait until there was a Coliseum home video release to see the pay-per-view. And I don't think Yankum had been on TV yet. So it was my first time seeing him was live. That also happened uh, a few years later with Mordecai. Uh, oh, okay. Wow. That's a, that's, a, that's a name that doesn't, uh, doesn't come up all that often. No, and there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, when you, when you were about to mention Harkushi and the one, two, three kid, actually looking at SummerSlam, that was probably my, well, take Sean and Razor out of the equation, I suppose, yeah. was probably the best match on the card to me. It was, it was a good opener. It was, you know, the only one thing that got me interested in watching the rest of it. Yeah, well, that was 95 in a nutshell. I mean, there's, there's a few good workers sprinkled throughout the cards, but usually it was just a, a whole mess. Like, don't even get me started on Kinsley, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, no, yeah, the one, the one we'd rather forget. Yeah, well, the thing is, in St. John, uh, we were kind of like a seat town. Um, our, our arena could really only hold maybe four or 5,000 people, maybe, maybe 9,000 people tops like i don't even think ninth that's so we would get a lot of the feuds that were kind of cold at that point um and lex luger was like our guy i remember seeing him uh main event a show against ludwig borga and then against crush and then teaming up with sean against yoko and owen so three straight shows where luger was the headliner and it turned out to be his last show was there any any hint at that point that he was on his way out no no, he, he's he like smiling and stuff. I remember he seemed to be having a good time. And I remember thinking that was a really good match because the past few house shows that I had been to, the matches were either short or very safe. Like nobody wanted to get hurt yeah. for, you know, a few hundred people. Listen, mate, thank you so much for coming on um and talking about this i i really i think i could probably have you back to to delve into something else at some point oh i could talk about wrestling all day every day that sounds good now i i could probably you know i'll, I'll pick apart i want to do some episodes where i either look at an, a, an event with someone yeah not necessarily watch it or whatever but just dissect it because i've done a few of these on my own it's great putting my opinion out there but it's nice to have you know some more to bounce off of so i'll be interested if you're interested. Oh, I'm a man on the internet. I have opinions. <laughs> Brilliant. Cole, listen, thank you so much. <laughs> okay, well, pip, pip and all that. Cheerio, governor. <laughs> thank you, mate. Thanks again. <laughs> I'll speak to you soon. You got it. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.